This is The Guardian. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. 95 minutes of attack versus defence at St James's Park ends up with Newcastle in the Champions League. To be fair to Leicester, they did have a shot in the 92nd minute and a point isn't bad for them. They are not relying on Spurs at the weekend. Who would do that? But still need Bournemouth to do them a favour at Everton. We'll discuss Eddie Howe's incredible achievement and again try to get the balance right between how he's managed to bring a togetherness to a squad that have played above themselves without avoiding the tricky stuff about where the money comes from. We'll discuss the racist abuse of Vinicius Jr. in Spain and the reaction from the authorities. Is this a pivotal moment or is that just wishful thinking? Juve got their 15 points back and now have 10 taken away. There's a mailbag with questions on time-wasting, soccer Saturday, high performance in school and whether any of us even like football. All that on today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, John Bruin, welcome. Hi, Max. Hello, Johnny Lou. Hi. And hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max. Uh, let's start at St James's Park, then Newcastle nil, Leicester nil. Newcastle into the Champions League at Leicester City. A point closer to survival or the championship? Hard to work out at, at this stage. Um, what did you make of the game, Barry? I thought it was incredibly one-sided. I thought Leicester were quite lucky and maybe a little unlucky insofar as I think, and others are welcome to disagree with me, I think Bruno Gimenez should have been sent off within, what was it, eight, nine minutes for that awful challenge on Bubakara Samara, which, yeah, I'm, I'm baffled that wasn't a red, but as I say, other opinions are probably available. And, yeah, Newcastle hit the woodwork three times. Watching it, actually, I think we need a new metric, like XW, expected woodwork, insofar as, you know... Some shots glance the outside of the post, some thump off the inside of the post and roll across the line and don't go in and you know, or hit the crossbar and thump down, but don't cross the line. So they should have you know, a higher XW than one you know that scrapes the paint on the outside, that, that kind of thing. But yeah, Newcastle hit the woodwork three times. Uh, I suppose any other night, they probably would have won quite easily. And then Leicester almost uh, nicked it at the end from a, the unlikely source that is, I always call him Thomas Castagne, that is, that's the rugby player, Timothy Castagne. And what a three points, what a win that would have been for them, but it wasn't to be. 
So a draw, I'm not going to say it's a fair result because Newcastle were, you know, obviously the better team. But uh, it's it's a point, you know, it's not in Leicester's hands, but it, it leaves it more in their hands than it might have been. Mm. I, I guess without sending off, John, and I'm minded to agree with Barry, that he, he kind of places his studs on the thigh, doesn't he? He doesn't like push through. It's just kind of, this is where they're going to be for a short amount of time. And then, so I can kind of see why it wasn't overturned. Yeah, there was some, there was some discussion where, uh, well, now we know this, obviously, after uh, last week's expose, that the commentators can hear what the VAR is saying, that it wasn't considered reckless because of, probably because it wasn't that, Full downward pressure on uh, his knee. I mean, it looks, and it's one of those again. Uh, and I never know. I never know whether this clears things up or not. It's like, can we see that in real time? That's always the phrase that's used, isn't it? Now, you know, if you see that in real time, it still looked like a really bad tackle to me. And let's play the um, the game of orange cards at that point. I would suggest it was it was naughty. It probably should have been sent off. Um. Might I introduce that uh, I saw a new tactical innovation in this game, uh, a variation in, of get it launched, which was get it launched off the field was uh, Leicester's tactic for most of this game. It appeared to me not even going, you know, not even like hoofing it forward for the big man, uh, which was Ian Acho, wasn't it, for, for the start of the game. It was just getting it smashed wherever from very early. Get it lost. Get it lost because it was just get it lost and... I suppose, I mean, we've had this debate on the pod and I've had this debate with Newcastle fans myself. It's it's making Newcastle hurry up, which is something that they may be not comfortable with after the uh, tactics of this season that they've employed. Dean Smith seemed happy enough, didn't he, with a point here because it gives them a chance. And I suppose it's one of those things that managers always say, don't they? Uh, if you t- if you um, gave me, the, you know, took me into the last game of the season... Uh, and we've got a chance of staying up. I'd have bitten your hand off. And uh, maybe Dean Smith is without a hand after last night because getting it launched in that fashion or getting it lost, um, talking of getting it lost, uh, was uh, <laughs> talking of getting lost, Max has disappeared. But yes, successful-ish for Leicester. But yeah, they could have got it at the end. What do we do now? Max is gone. This is, yeah. this, is, this is my worst nightmare on TalkSport, just Max suddenly disappearing. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as easy as it looks, is it? And I have returned, uh, hopefully. It's good news for the uh, other people on the Zoom call. Uh, on, the, on that subject of Leicester, Rich says, is it a good idea to have an XG of naught in a must-win game at half-time? Um, uh, what did you make of their approach, Johnny? Well, I, I don't think they deliberately set out to to have no shots or, or you know one shot. Uh, in fact, you know you could argue that if Castagna's goal goes in at the very end, then then that approach has has paid off. And not only that, it's probably worth putting a bet on Leicester to win next season's title. Um, I think you know they they didn't they clearly didn't they defended very well. Uh, they didn't play the ball out uh, as well as they could. And I think that the fact that you know you don't have Madison, or you don't have Barnes from the start. Um, plays into that a little bit. Um, but, you know, they, they they defended really well. And I think that the danger against Newcastle is that they can they can just sweep you away. It's that kind of... Um, it's not only the physicality, but it's the wall of noise and, and, and it's the 
it's the way they could have they can combine you know down the flanks and and you know they can, they can just cut cut you open in a, in a few minutes and i think you would probably take a point at st james's park like on a as, as a kind of an objective viewpoint it's not a bad result and you, you kind of everton everton aren't going to win are they you can't <laughs> It's, it's not. It's not like Everton are going to win or anything. So, uh, so uh, you know, I, I th- it, it almost keeps it in their hands. Which is, I mean, they, they basically had to keep it out of Leeds' hands, which I think is, was was the main issue. Now, look, Newcastle United are in the Champions League. It's such a huge achievement for Eddie Howe, Barry, and we sort of may have mocked, you know, like his team photos after, like a, I don't know, a random draw in in December, and you know, Jason, that Twitter account with Jason Tindall sort of being centre of attention everywhere, but. And how has proved this before? He has an incredible ability to get everybody pulling in exactly the same direction. Yeah, I'm not sure how it is he does that, but he does. Um, he is, by all accounts, a very hard worker, uh, very diligent. His a lot of attention to the tiniest details. But then I guess there's a hell of a lot of managers who do that, but just don't do it as well, and. It was there was an inevitability that Newcastle would start, you know, would qualify for the Champions League at some point, but they've done it ahead of schedule, I would argue, and I probably didn't envisage them qualifying for the Champions League with a team that had players like Jacob Murphy and Sean Longstaff and Dan Byrne as, you know, more or less staples. And... uh he deserves a lot of credit for that. Obviously, he has spent a lot of money. He's brought in some class players. The job he's done with Joe Linton has been remarkable, just transforming him from a pretty hapless striker into a brilliant midfielder who now is chipping in with quite regularly with goals. You know, To use a cliche, it's like having a new signing and a very good new signing. So he deserves a hell of a lot of credit for that. Mm. And improves players as well, John. I I wonder where he sh- where they should be, where that squad of players should be finishing. Like realistically, eighth. I don't know. Yeah, you'd sort of look at them around. Let's say their ability level is probably about the same as say Aston Villa's at, at the moment. Uh, you know, you compare maybe the strikers. Obviously, Alexander Isak was the player they brought in, who is yeah a striker wanted around Europe, considered one of Europe's most talented players, who. I mean, funny enough, he's not always been the central figure despite that. And that's actually, I think that's reasonably good management by Eddie Howe, which is just not like, here you are, you're the star man, off you go. He's managed someone like Isaac slowly into the team. And obviously he had injuries earlier in the season. It's dangerous to always use Spurs as, as a gauge for anything. I think we all, all here recognise that. But I think it was back in October I saw... Newcastle at Spurs and they beat them if not comprehensively but they beat them well and at that point I thought yes here's a team there and I think in uh, Joe Linton and Bruno Guimaraes although I do think that Bruno's um, performances have dropped off a little bit a bit the second half of the season he always seems to be injured actually every game doesn't he always have like a you know there's a I, I think he's been playing through the pain barrier with a, an ongoing ankle or foot yeah. issue but he, he's not been as good as he was but Joe Linton has been outstanding all season but when those two were at their absolute peak together you you saw why Newcastle would be a very difficult team to beat um 
I don't think Eddie Howe's um, talent as a manager has ever really been in, in any doubt uh, because he did such a great job with Bournemouth. And he obviously has this um, collective collegiate spirit that he engenders with players. And that idea of him bringing through players that you wouldn't expect to uh, perform at that level. Well, if you remember, when he was at Bournemouth, he had a load of players that had played two, three divisions below who look perfectly serviceable Premier League players. So, you know, I mean, amidst everything, you have to accept that Eddie Howe, even though he might not be uh, a character that everyone takes to heart because there is a certain coldness to him, there's a certain, I'm not going to say, well, is, is it smugness, but it's a certain self-satisfaction. You can't argue with his qualities as a coach and what he's achieved. Yeah, and actually, Johnny, they, I thought you described it quite well, that... It's not like scintillating football, but it's exciting football. It reminds me a bit of sort of Fergie United in a way. Not quite that good, but it's not like really intricate, but it just sort of has this momentum and this sort of power to it with lots of skillful players. I think Trippier is such a lovely footballer and amongst others. Um, so you can see why it is, you know, it's sort of gripping to watch. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think I mentioned this on, on the pod before, but during the 18 months that he was out of work, Eddie Howe went to um, he went to shadow Diego Simeone at Atletico, and I think Atletico is a really really good parallel for what he's tried to do at, at Newcastle. You know, partly it's the, partly it's the way they play, which is you know which is built on solidity, but also kind of you know quick transitions and and essentially trying to try to overwhelm teams, uh, try to you know essentially out running them off the pitch. Battling them off the pitch, and then taking your chances when when you get them, and and the you know the other part of it is almost embracing that kind of anti-hero identity, and I think there's something quite interesting, you know, almost quite canny about it. They are not going to they're not ever ever again going to be anybody's second favorite club. Newcastle are not going to be loved by a neutral side. Sorry, by a neutral fan, uh, as long as they are being controlled by the public um, investment fund of Saudi Arabia, and it's worth it's worth embracing that. I think from from, from their point of view, he's basically said, you know, I, I don't know what he said, but it looks like what he's done is said, look, everyone is against us, and in, in much the same way that you know you imagine a Simeone might do. Uh, the only people we can trust are in this dressing room or whatever in this club, and you know, everyone out there is a bastard. So you just have to be a bigger bastard. They have played a lot like Atletico this season, and and if if they are going to kind of lean into this, everybody's everybody's most hated club. Uh, that's probably a more realistic uh, assessment of of how people are going to are, are going to see them than what Manchester City are trying to do, which is you know basically desperate to desperate for everyone to love them. Yeah, I I agree, with Johnny. That's a very good point. I would be interested to see uh, if Eddie Howe does go full Simeone. You know, uh, maybe grows the hair out a bit, goes a bit more berserk. Tight mode. trousers, yeah, berserk. Sort of does a lot of cojones signs, yeah. You know, maybe maybe that's Jason's job in all this. I don't know, but Possible. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to say that is a good point because when you have these clubs that are owned by people that okay, we we don't approve of, why not just go for the dark side and just say, hey, we're the bad guys, come and take us down because. 
yeah, I think one of Manchester City's biggest problems is like all this stuff about why aren't you happy for us? Well, that's not how it works, lads. You may as well just be nasty and try and take us down. I suppose nobody likes anybody who's got loads of money and successful, even if the money comes from you know a sort of benevolent, you know, even if I don't know suddenly get the estate of Gandhi bought a team you know like if they had loads of money people would still sort of dislike them but yeah. as usual yesterday Barry we got criticized for talking about city's owners too much and not enough <laughs> and I just wonder like, on the international tv coverage there was literally no mention of the ownership at all right apart from they've got loads of money I don't know what it was like on on sky and I just wonder do you think broadcasters don't cover it because it's not what fans want you know, I even worry sometimes that listeners, our listeners don't want it. And if we don't have listeners, that's a slight, a slight issue for us, right? We're constantly, we were just saying before the pod, it's quite hard to talk about it every time because there's no new angle really on on the human rights issues in, in Saudi Arabia. I mean, I guess there are, you know, different stories each week, but it's the same principle, right? And I suppose on moments like this, you should address it because this is a seminal moment rather than just doing it after a normal victory over... I don't know, Southampton on a Tuesday night? Well, I suppose you have to put in, start with all the the major, I'm not sure caveats is quite the right word, but Newcastle fans have no control over who owns their club. The people who are the public face of the ownership, Amanda Staveley, her husband, uh, Jamie Rubin, Newcastle fans adore them. And to be fair to them, they haven't really put a foot wrong in terms of transfers and all that. And I think a lot of people expected it to be, you know, Chelsea-esque or even worse. I think last night, was it at halftime, Jamie Rubin and, and Stabley's husband had uh, some sort of penalty challenge or crossbar challenge or something for a charity to raise money for a food bank. And... Lots of Newcastle fans, you know, they they challenged each other on Twitter and lots of Newcastle fans thought it was great and, you know, what what lovely people and they're really getting into the spirit of things. A few other Newcastle fans made the point that Jamie Rubin's a major donator to the Tory party who are responsible for the fact that there are food banks in Newcastle and everywhere else. So, you know, wh- why do this kind of crass stunt and that's it in a nutshell some Newcastle fans just don't care about their ownership others do and they have reservations but they love the club and I've gone down such a cul-de-sac now I can't really remember what your original question was (laughs) was just sort of how how to cover it how to keep covering it why major broadcast I mean Johnny why do you think the major broadcasters don't I mean match of the day when it first announced I remember Alan Shearer saying Big questions need to be asked, and and maybe match the day. I mean, that's not really the place to do it, is it? Is it? I don't know. Because when you sort of when you go down the list of abuses, it feels like it's really important. Like it's really important. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first point is that owners, owners, and ownership, ownerships are probably the most important people in football. Certainly more important than you know, coaches or sporting directors. Um, they, the, the the owner is the most important person at a football club, as, as the one who can determines what what kind of club they're going to be what size of club they're going to be the other yeah the, the other part of it is i think that you know i think we spend a lot of time on this pod like talking about whether we should you know whether we should talk about things or how we should talk about this obviously we should talk about ownership you know obviously we should talk about where where the money comes from not to the exclusion of everything else and i think if you're if you're match the day or if you're, if you're bt sport and you're actually 
you are showing a football game, you're broadcasting a football game, and, and your your program is about you know that game. I think your your priorities are going to be slightly different to uh, to a pod like ours, which has no live footage, if any, to 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 speak of, and is is much more about analysis and and talking you know around the issues. So it's not to say that it's right not to mention it at all, but I, I just think they don't go on about it on match of the day like we do, and I, I think that's probably fair enough. And I think you made the point as well, Max, recently that a lot of the people involved in these broadcasts are former footballers, recently retired footballers who just can't be bothered, don't want the aggravation of uh, having to discuss these things that might lead to them being the victims of a Twitter pylon or some sort of backlash. And, you know, that's kind of understandable. Yes, I don't disagree with any of that. And uh, um, we will keep talking about it. And Johnny, I'll keep asking if we should keep talking about it and asking if we should be asking about whether we should keep talking about it. Um, <laughs> anyway, that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we will start with a discussion about Vinicius Jr. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, let's talk about the racist abuse of Vinicius Junior and how it has been or not been dealt with in Spain. Uh, quite a lot of, to cover before I open it up. From Sid's piece in The Guardian, there were 20 minutes left when Vinicius pointed at a Valencia fan behind the goal saying, you, you, yes, you, telling teammates that the man there had called him a monkey. He did this, Vinicius said, imitating an ape gesture, hands tucked under his armpits. Alongside him, Lucas Vasquez confronted the fans, shitty racists. The referee spoke to Vinicius, explaining the protocol, asking him to trust him. First, an announcement's made over the loudspeaker, and then he told Vinicius, if it happens a second time, we leave. Thibaut Courtois told him it had happened in the first half too and Vinicius was ready to go already. The PA announcement warning the game could be suspended was met with whistles. After the game, Vinicius Jr. posted on social media, the championship that once belonged to Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, Cristiano and Messi today belongs to racists. It wasn't the first time nor the second nor the third racism is normal in La Liga. The competition thinks it's normal. The federation does too and opponents encourage it. A beautiful nation which welcomed me, which I love, but which agreed to export the image of a racist country to the world. I'm sorry for the Spaniards who don't agree, but today in Brazil, Spain is known as a country of racists. The La Liga president, Javier Tebas, posted a reply on Twitter shortly after the game, uh, which he said, we've, we've tried to explain 
what La Liga can do in cases of racism to you, but you have not shown up for either of the two agreed dates that you requested yourself. Before criticising and insulting La Liga, it's necessary that in, you inform yourself properly at Vinny Jr. Do not let yourself be manipulated and make sure you fully understand each other's competencies and the work we've been doing together, which, which Johnny, appears at best completely tone deaf from Javier Tebas. It was tone deaf. It was it was not really surprising. The problem being that I mean I I I remember talking to Sid about this a good two or three months ago when I was writing a column about Vinicius and and the racist abuse he was getting. And you know he said Spain is Spain is yeah just twenty twenty five years behind a lot of other European countries on this. It is not as taboo to be racist in Spain you know, as as it is here. You know it, here I think at the very least if you were found to be making monkey charts at a football uh, at a footballer there would be there would be some disapproval i think from the people around you i think we've reached that point now there would certainly be uh people saying you shouldn't have a job anymore you should be out of a job i don't think we're i don't think we're at that point in spain yet and obviously that is something that comes from the very top of the establishment you know the, the top line for me here is that racism is this this huge it's this huge thing and and it encompasses so many different areas and affects so many different people. And this is this this is the very, like, very thin end of the wedge. Literally the most famous, the best footballer in Spain, one of the greatest footballers in the world is getting monkey charts. And there are still people saying, ah, oh, this isn't a thing. This isn't this isn't bad. If you can't prosecute this thing, one of the most powerful footballers in the world, and play for one of the most powerful clubs in the world, and you can't get anything done about that. What what hope have you had? What hope do you have of getting anything done about anything? You know, any of the bigger, more complex, more th- like thornier issues. He tweeted again last night, Vinicius Junior. Every round away from home is an unpleasant surprise. There were many this season: death wishes, hanged dolls, many criminal screams, all registered. But the speech always falls on isolated cases. A fan, no, these are not isolated cases. They're continuous episodes spread across several cities in Spain uh, and even on a TV program. The evidence is there in video. Now I ask, how many of these racists had names and photos exposed on websites? I answer to make it easier, zero. What is missing to criminalise these people and punish clubs accordingly? Why don't sponsors charge La Liga? The problem is very serious. Communications no longer work. Not blaming me to justify criminal acts either. You are not football. You are inhuman. Is it naive, John, do you think this is a, this could be an important pivotal moment? Like the, the level of scrutiny being placed on La Liga right now feels stronger than I've seen it before. Vinicius is rightly not backing down at all. I think the Brazilian government have got involved. The Christ the Redeemer statue was 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 it not lit up or something like that as their sign of supporting Vinicius Junior? Or do you think, like a lot of cases, and not just cases, they're cases, you know, here and across Europe, it'll just go away again because there'll be another football match? I'm reminded of, uh, and it may almost be almost twenty years ago. Uh, there was that thing where Luis Aragonés. Uh, we refer we use a racial epithet, should we call it, for Thierry Henry, and that was quite regarded as quite shocking here. Uh, and we and uh, Jonathan said, you know, we're 20, 25 years ahead. The the thing is, you mentioned La Liga's standing. I, I tuned in. Uh, there was a brief clip on Viaplay, who have the rights to um, La Liga in this country. A panel including Michel Salgado, I think, discussing this, and it's deeply embarrassing for them to have to discuss racism. Now, 
they should discuss racism because it's going on in their league. But how good is you know the image of La Liga, as you say, Max, has been dragged through the mud by the behaviour of this, and also from what it appears and what Vinicius is saying is the refusal of the authorities to actually deal with this. Um, now, look at uh, what measures can you take. Now, look at say it's a different thing, but in Holland where you've got this thing where anything is chucked on the pitch, the game's called off. And that's you know, and that's now disrupting their league to the point of discrediting their league. Well, could it not be that you take players off the pitch in Spain or something like that? But it appears to be La Liga has got into this position where, because Vinicius doesn't want to speak to Javier Tebas, it becomes this uh, ego battle rather than actual the issue at the heart of it, which is racism and the fact that... Uh, a black player should not be treated like that. Uh, and the fact that, as Jonathan says, probably the best player in La Liga is being treated like that. What does that say about La Liga? So Valencia appeared to have released more than one statement. The first one said Valencia wished to publicly condemn insults and attacks of all kinds in football. Um, it was quite long. One telling line was, while strongly denouncing these isolated incidents, Valencia would like to thank the more than 46,000 fans in attendance for their support for the team, which is a very sort of tiring last line, just placating the rest of the fan base. They released another statement last night. This was on Sky. In line with the club's permanent commitment against racism and violence in all forms, announced that the police has identified a fan who made racist gestures at Real Madrid's Vinicius Jr. Uh, in the game at the Mastaya on the 21st of May. The club are also working along with the police to confirm the identity of any other potential offenders. I mean, there are a lot of offenders if you watch the clip. Well, I mean, the thing is, Max, that... <laughs> There have been nine complaint, formal complaints made about racist abuse directed at Vinicius Jr. so far this season. So this, obviously, as he himself said, isn't an isolated incident. And even as he alighted from the team coach to enter the stadium, a group of fans had gathered to racially abuse him. That was the welcome he got to the Mestalla. So if, you know, Will Valencia's scapegoat isn't the right word but you know they'll they'll identify one fan yeah we caught you red-handed you're he'll be prosecuted and they'll say yes we've dealt with it when there's clearly more than one guy involved i mean the problem doesn't seem to be just with the liga even when they try to to prosecute or you know get the law involved the, the prosecutors drag their feet or decide not to press charges or decide there's no case to be answered so it it seems to be a, a problem with with many roots mm. and actually look it's worth saying Romelu Lukaku suffered really similar stuff in in Serie A and important to suggest that you know racism is is not a problem in the UK we know it is still a problem fans do seem to be as Johnny pointed out incredibly emboldened at the moment in La Liga um, La Liga said in a statement it would investigate and take appropriate legal action uh, if a hate crime was identified calling on people to submit any relevant footage while we're on fan behaviour we actually had a few tweets and probably quite fairly asking us to cover the Azeg Altmar attacks on the West Ham players families had it been the other way round we might have covered it I don't know if, if you agree Baz but I don't know if you've seen the pictures of Nolsey as he is known this sort of heroic um, I mean, he must be in his 60s, mustn't he? Uh, West Ham fan sort of fending off uh, the Azad Alkmaar ultras. I mean, it's a potentially terrifying situation with this sort of quite sort of 
I don't know, it's like it's not humorous, is it? But it's sort of quite incongruous sight of this just one old man just like beating off a mob. Yeah, it's like Michael Elphick taking on a group of orcs or something like that, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely right. Yeah, it's Boone. <laughs> it's Boone. Boone taking on these... the Dutch horse. Yeah, shocking incident, really. Uh, and they, I think, took their time to apologise, didn't they? There was there was all like two or three attempted apologies, and then eventually, yeah, yeah, sorry. It's not the first time without my fans. I think there was a there was a game against Dundee or something, Dundee United, and there was a, there was there was a lot of trouble there with, with their ultras. Their their ultras, their ultra section is you know is is, is quite notorious. They're you know for, for, for causing trouble in uh, within Holland. Uh, so uh, I don't know why that's been allowed to to continue. Bring it to East London, see how you get on then, lads. Say. Eh? Well, I mean, I worry. I worry whether East East London is East London these days is a pretty soft place. It's yeah, that's true. Take to Westfield. Maybe. Yes, I was <laughs> I was representing East London for quite a while, and I'm not sure how well I I certainly wouldn't have been as good as Nolsey. I wouldn't have put myself. I'd have scuttled away like the coward that I am. Um, I mean, lots of like they've you know, there's T-shirts of Nolsey. There's even like a little doll of no- of, of Nolsey. I think if you press his stomach, it says you know West Ham are massive or something to to that effect. He got a sort of standing ovation at the stadium when he walked in at the pub. Like you know, it was uh, sort of slightly heartening. It, it you know, within the sort of context of the guy having to defend himself from these. I I I, I presume there will be people who say you know we're. we're will accuse us of glamorising this violence. But I'm not so. sure what Knowles is. very much like self-defence. Did he yeah. do, was he in the wrong in any way? I mean, he was defending the honour of, of, of his fellow fans and, you know, but blocking the stairwell and thou shalt not pass. Who's, who is thou, thou shalt not pass? Is that Gandalf? Is this Nolsey now the West Ham Gandalf? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Uh, it's Helm's Deep, that is, isn't it? Uh, if you... In the 80s and 90s, didn't we used to call those a have mm. a go hero? Yeah. That's yeah. what they used to be you're, called. You're, you don't, we don't recommend it, of course. But no, we're not glorifying violence. We are saying he did quite an impressive job of fending off the horde of Alkmaar ultras. Uh, that Alkmaar apology that you referenced, John. While everyone hoped for a historic European match, it turned into a pitch black evening due to the events occurring at the referee's final whistle. It turned into a night to reflect on with shame, not because of the football game played, but because of the behaviour of some attending. Unfortunately, we cannot use the word supporters for these people. What happened is beyond all bounds. The club against the city apologises to West Ham and the thousands of well-minded AZ supporters who've also been inconvenienced by the misconduct. Uh, moving on, um, the will-they-won't-they they saga of Juve's point deduction is still ongoing. They were thrust back into the Champions League spots when they got their 15 points back. They've now been docked 10 points following a new investigation into the club's past transfer dealings. The points deduction doesn't seem to have been ideal preparation for their game against Empoli last night. They were 2-0 down after 20 minutes uh, and lost 4-1. Drops them down to 7th with two games remaining. Uh, pretty much guarantees no Champions League football for them next season. Unless, of course, their points are given back and then they have five points taken off them. And it's sort of like an episode of Turnabout uh, with Rob Curling. Um, anyway, Nikki's on Zoom. We'll chat to about... Uh, we'll fucking chat- great we'll reference. Ch- <laughs> that's, a, that's a good reference. You like that one? <laughs> Thank you so much. And the good thing about Turnabout was it, Rob Curling wasn't quite sure how many points anyone ever got. He'd be like, that's five, 10, 50, 20 points you've got there. Rob Rob presented Football Weekly a few times and we we asked we were all we wanted to talk about was turnabout. And he openly admitted that he had no idea what was going on, but a producer was 
telling him what to say in his ear and he just parroted that. But he, he was in the dark as the rest of us. Mm. Producer Joel says, what is turnabout? So there is the oh, generation. God. Oh, God. No. So uh, to, anyone, to anyone under, anyone under, I don't know. How old are you, Johnny? 37. I, was, I watched 37. it as a kid. Lunchtime, I would say a BBC One lunchtime game show. with five or so. Yeah. And, you know, there was like, there was coloured, basically coloured spheres, coloured discs on a grid and you had to and you had to turn them your colour and, and make little rows of three and four and you'd get um you'd get points for that. Um and that, was that it late? was later parodied brilliantly on that Mitchell and Webb look. They had this sketch called Number Wang. Number Wang. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> was there a lake in in the studio? I feel like there was a I feel like there was a totally unnecessary pond in the middle of the um, I'm, I, I might oh, have to the turnabout that. studio, a, a sort of like a, a water feature in it. Oh, <laughs> great, <laughs> a lovely idea. Uh, anyway, you remember? That'll, yeah, that'll do for uh, part two. Um, uh, part three, we'll do any other business. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Graham Sooness is swimming the channel, um, uh, raising money to help people living with the rare skin condition Epidermolysis Bellosa. He was on BBC Breakfast. Um, uh, uh, he's been on a few TV and radio s- stations um, and incredibly moved uh, by having become aware of the condition um, when meeting a, a 14-year-old girl called Isla. Uh, he's aiming to raise 1.1 million for the Deborah charity, which supports Isla, and about 5,000 people in the UK currently live with the genetic condition. Um, it's an incredibly painful condition to do with the skin. Uh, he's swimming on June the 18th. Um, if you just Google Graham Souness and swim, that's probably the best way of finding the place to donate. But Barry, incredibly, what, I mean, so what wonderful thing to do. You sort of, I don't know if I expected Graham Souness to swim the channel for any particular reason, but uh, he has a heart, this guy. He does have a heart and he also has uh, a dicky heart, which, you know, because he's, he's had health issues himself in the past. Crikey, um I don't know what age is he. He's in well into his sixties. Seventy. 70, he was, 70. It was his seventieth birthday. I think the almost the day that he announced that he was re- returning from Sky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I really like um, Graham Sunes, and this is a brilliant thing. And it just reminds me of of an interview I saw with the absolute legend that is Kevin Sinfield, who has obviously for anyone who might be listening abroad and doesn't know has has raised millions and millions of pounds for motor neuron disease charities and for uh to provide for the future of his 
best mate and former teammate Rob Burrow, who's uh, got motor neuron disease. Uh, he's run these ultra marathons and put himself through hell to raise this money. And and in a recent interview, I saw him saying that you have to be seen to be suffering for people to dig deep and give you money. It has to hurt. And uh, I, I'd imagine Graeme Souness is going to suffer as he swims the channel. And I hope it goes really well for him because it's quite something for anyone to take on, let alone a 70-year-old man. Be lovely for Pogba to be Pogba to be on on the beach at Calais waiting for him <laughs> <laughs> with a towel. Oh uh, yeah, and they'd embrace, and yeah. it would be it would be hot warming. Yeah, I mean, he's a tough guy, you know, like one of those. I don't know if he could like kick a ferry out the way, could he? Really, that's a big car ferry, but you know. Do you still have to wear whale blubber to swim the channel? I think they'd probably give you a wetsuit, don't they? At this stage, at this, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I you know, because Graham Sue always strikes me as someone who's quite. I do imagine whale blubber on on his uh... her suit no. chest. Yeah. Hmm. Well, look, we'll find out. I imagine in the fullness of time. Um, uh, he's a vegan, apparently. So uh, no chance, says producer Joel. Um, so there we are. I don't think he is actually a vegan, is he? He, he said that he's tried the vegan diet. I think that's the case. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because he he right. likes fish. I think it's his favourite. Prawns. He could just eat it as he's swimming along. That's how smeared in whale blubber to tempt them in, and then <laughs> just like launches into a tuna and just takes it. There we go. Um, anyway, George writes: Do any of you lads like football? I appreciate there's a lot to dislike with modern sport, the modern world in general. But apart from Max's odd bit of Cambridge exuberance, I've never got the sense that most of the regular pundits on Football Weekly enjoy the thing they get paid to cover. I think we like it. Yeah, I love football. What, what's I, I've, I've got asked this question the other day actually, and I think you know it's something that I obviously work on five, five or six days a week. Uh, but I, I tell you what, going to a match that's a great feeling. That really still enjoy going to matches. Um, next Monday, I'm going to the playoff final with my Sheffield Wednesday supporting dad. That's what it's all about. Yeah, of course I love football. It just happens to be the thing that I've worked in for nearly 25 years now. And, of course, you have to take each story, each um, development as it comes, look at them, and you don't necessarily have to be a happy, clappy cheerleader for it all because a lot of it, as we've discussed in this podcast already, might might not be that nice. But ultimately, um, football... At its best, uh, a game, a, an exciting match, uh, you know, a, a drink and a laugh with your mates. It's the best, right? That's what it's for. Yeah. I mean, I think um, that if you work in it, the magic goes a bit because yeah. sometimes I don't want to watch, you know, Middlesbrough v Stoke. Right, with all due respect to those, I, I like watching League One. Obviously, like they know I watch League One, right? I watch Cambridge games when the Champions League is happening. I have the Cambridge games on. Like sometimes you just can't, you know, it's your job, right? Sometimes you just can't be fucked to go to work. Excuse my language, um, but you are aware of the privilege of it completely, and how and how lucky you are to 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 be in, you know, that position. 
and I think sometimes you just need, there are always moments, I think, that may remind you why. So Cambridge staying up when Barry and I were on the radio, like it was like a sort of quasi-religious experience for me. Like by the end, I was just so exhausted and so sort of bereft, I'm not bereft in a bad way, but just like there was nothing left of me. And I sort of sat in silence in this radio studio and just sort of welled up and just, and I remember those three days of when, you know, Vincent Company scored that goal for City and then Liverpool beat Barcelona the next night and then Spurs beat Ajax the next night. Just being like totally broken, just thinking I can't, this was so extraordinary. Like you wanted to talk to somebody about this. But at the same time, I I, I am sometimes conscious, Baz, that we, you know, that, that fans listening, they haven't been ground down because it's not what they've been doing for their job, right? I suppose. I mean, we do get that question a lot. Do you like football? You know, all you ever do is complain. But we're not cheerleaders. Uh, we have to shine the light into the dark corners and recesses of the game. You know, I like football. I like watching Sheffield Wednesday come from four goals down to turn a playoff semi-final around and win, winning on penalties. I like going to watch Dulwich Hamlet and having a nice burger and a few pints or uh, a souvlaki wrap. But I don't like the fact that Newcastle are owned by Saudi Arabia or that Manchester City are owned by Abu Dhabi or that PSG are owned by Qatar or that Manchester United might soon be owned by Qatar. And I don't like seeing players reduced to tears on the pitch because hundreds of if not thousands of fans are, are racially abusing them you know who who does like that it's it's because it's really unpleasant so uh yeah i like football but there's lots of stuff about football and around football that i hate i don't know for me football's like um it's like a family member right remember it's a member it's like, you know you love them unconditionally and I love football unconditionally. There, are t- I, I go through phases where I don't like it very much, but I still love it. Uh, and and it's you know it's also a family member with, I guess, quite gross personal habits. Um, that's probably how I that's probably how I'd put it. We talk we talk about the highs, you know, Sheffield Wednesday, you know, coming back from four 0 down, and you know that you know the, the company Liverpool Tottenham week and World Cups and and the the, the emotional highs you go through there. Um, for me, it's like the it's the stuff. It's the kind of the morass that 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 gets forgotten. But you you end up watching and consuming and talking about all like there's just so much of it. And I think there could be a little bit less. And I think over time, what what I've I've got worse at, and what what you guys actually are much much better at than me, is maintaining an interest in that you know in the kind of the nuts and bolts stuff, the everyday stuff. Um, the the one all draws where something interesting happens uh, at the end or you know some fan does something silly you know there's that that's the stuff I find it I find it harder to care about um, and I no longer will just you know sit on my sofa on a Thursday night and watch anything um, that's 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 I guess a, a way in which I've changed over over the years when I, I used to watch anything and everything and now I think I've got a little bit more balance to my life so yeah I love it I'm not I'm not obsessed with it like I used to be um but you know it's family right 
Paul says to Max Barry and the team, I was listening with interest to your discussion about time wasting. I'm always intrigued how kids pick up on things the pros do. I was recently watching my daughter's under 14s team in a tournament and they were one nil up against the team at the top of their group. Every time our keeper got the ball, she diligently fell on it to collapse from one group of parents and exasperation from the other. She capped off a fine display when with seconds remaining, the ball had trickled over the line for a corner. She walked towards the ball ahead of an opposing player as if to collect it and sportingly hand it over. She instead proceeded to smash the ball into some nearby undergrowth 20 metres away before turning around and looking innocently at the referee. Obviously, I can't condone this behaviour, but I have voted for this keeper in the player of the season poll. Please do the excellent work. <laughs> What is a brilliant pod? Thank you, Paul. Uh, Dave says, how did Weston McKenney's long throw and Rodrigo's volley sit with the John Bruin get it launched movement? Well, the long throw, to me, is that legal? Because it's got this sort of twist in it. Mm, Sidearm. It's almost like, um, you know, like a basketball-y sort of... Yeah... I'm not sure that. I mean, was... leads don't leads don't have much, John. We can't take away no, Weston no. McKinney's long throw for them. I mean, they've you know, they've got nothing, have they? I mean, you know, but um, yeah. And and uh, as soon as uh, Samuel Allardyce moved uh, into the West Yorkshire area, that was obviously going to be used. Well, I, I think with 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 respect to to Dave Challoner, I'm going to say Rory Delap was the long throw king. And I think I heard him describe his technique once, and he, it's very much a one-handed throw. So you got you're holding the ball with one hand, and you just rest you just rest the other hand on the ball. So it's a one-handed throw. That that was his technique. So you just need big shovely hands. I Who's the guy at Wrexham? He's good at the long. Ben Tozer. Yeah. Yeah, he's really yeah, they good. They are yeah. good, aren't they? Because he can get it to the back stick. That's an extra. Oh yeah, thing. that's an extra. I mean, that is. That's class, that. It's gravy, isn't uh, yeah, it? Yeah, Absolute yeah. class, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, that is class from a, you know, dirty punt-out flick-on fan. Um, uh, anyway, uh, Terry, on the subject of great throwing goals, surely Dean Saunders from a throw-in is the greatest ever. Yes. Was it Sheffield United when he threw it against the keeper's back and then just side-footed it in? I mean, that's genius, isn't it? DeLacy says, what's John's favourite song by the Smiths? R.I.P. Andy Rourke. Two songs that Andy Rourke sounds great on. Uh, Barbarism begins at home, where he does a sort of full sort of Bernard Edwards chic sort of freak out, which is really good. And Well I Wonder, which is on the same album, Meet Is Murder, where he sounds very good, very delicate, great player. R.I.P. Andy. Brian says, if offered, would you and Barry become the new joint hosts of Soccer Saturday? If they don't want Barry, would you dump him and do it solo? Uh, Barry, are you interested? I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'm incapable of... Like on the radio, I have to tell our producer not to talk oh, yeah. to me. You can't be told anything while yeah. I'm talking because I just I can't listen and talk at the same time. So I would be useless. Yeah, but you could <laughs> sit next to me. I could do the nuts and bolts. You could just be there for or you know chip in with the odd the comment. comment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make a living of it. Uh, I'm quite far away to be honest, but I'd be interested to you know I'd listen to offers, wouldn't I? Of course. Um, we sort of think Chapper's going to get that gig, isn't he? He's done some Carabao Cup stuff for them. Yeah. You know, he's... That, 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 that looks like one of those things where, yeah, Chapper's... Well, let's face it, yeah. he's, he's very good. I, I know Chapper's is, the hard, Chapper's is the hardest working man in sports broadcasting and arguably show business, but would, would he want it? You know, I don't know. This is like, would Harry Kane like to go to Manchester United? Where is Soccer Saturday now? Is Soccer Saturday isn't what it was 10 years ago, is it? You know, I... I uh... <laughs> 
Hard to say. I could ask him. Well, I mean, there's a vacancy on this morning, Max. So I think you'd make an wow. excellent. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Ian has got in touch on, on that subject. Ian said, uh, "Who I worked with on Soccer AM. Uh, uh, he works in sound. He says thanks for not absolutely going to town on Peterborough. You did do a catwalk once. Um, I remember playing it. He was uh, he was playing the theme. He said I he, he sound mixes this morning. I could be your in. We could go full circle. So there is a possibility. I don't think you could. I mean." We discussed it yesterday. I don't think I'd be very good at this morning. Barry, you, I'm really not sure. <laughs> be the perfect spot for you. Cy says, Cy Lloyd, the journalist, says, should high performance be on the national curriculum? Johnny. This this, this man is very dangerous. And, you know, I, I've, I've said this, I've said this to you before. And, and people don't, people don't realise how, how, how far these people can get while they're still, people are still laughing at them. They're going to think, ha ha, this guy's funny. Oh, he does this thing about his A-levels every year. Uh, the reason he's dangerous is that he, he he basically reduces, in a very convincing way, he reduces um, all problems in the world to get up earlier, get out of bed earlier, to improve yourself, adopt a high-performance mindset, you know, and essentially you ignore all of the structural and systemic and societal uh, reasons why people have issues with their lives and uh that's why he's dangerous and like trump uh you know he needs to be stopped before he, he becomes he becomes too powerful <laughs> i just do add we, do we need to add well i get up very early at least five mornings a week not five o'clock early but six o'clock early and <laughs> it hasn't done me any good and, and like most of us scroll through our phone until we get hungry <laughs> until, until <laughs> another smaller human wakes you up is it the message isn't like like work hard you know and go for it like you can do anything like that's not a terrible sort of message to send well well it, it, well, but, it sort but, of is but it doesn't if guarantee it's, if it's doesn't, completely it's, unrealistic yeah, yeah it doesn't guarantee success. never take no for an answer there's questions about that is it yeah i've always thought that you know, people said that to me when I was trying to get. You know, if you if you if you write to Radio One and say, "Can I do the breakfast show?" They say, "No, don't turn up at Radio One to do the breakfast show." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not speaking from experience. It's very unlikely they'll say. Well, I said you said don't take no for an answer. All right then, sod it. You can come in and do it. Uh, anyway, uh, that'll do for today. Uh, thank you, John. Cheers, Max. Thanks, Johnny. Look, we're, we're all as humans, we're all fundamentally connected. That's what I believe. I believe we, you know, we we achieve our best work working together. And th for somebody to say, you know, you are the the architect of your own potential. You are, you know, it's 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 Nietzsche adjacent at the very least. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Max. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> Volvo <laughs> Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian.